Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! We have life because of Jesus. Truly, we have great joy today that we can be here together with you. I hope the word of God has confronted you today. And we've come. Yes, and I'm happy that we've returned, that we can confront you some more with the word of God. Hallelujah! So tonight we're just going to start with a song that uh, you all can, you know, just feel the move. And Toby's going to play the drum. Are you ready? He's he's been playing this drum since he was about three years old, so he's always ready. Okay, are you ready? Yahu bangi jimungode, the ayukanda kaimana, Yalma sihumungode, Yaye sumungode, Munada uba wanda baya tabaka sawa, Munada uba wanda baya tabaka sawa, Yesu shine uba wanda baya tabaka sawa, Yesu du zechetona. Oh, Lord, we are very, very thankful for all you have done for us. Oh, Lord, we are very, very thankful. We are saying thank you, my Lord. I have a Father that will never, never fail me. I have a Father that will never, never fail me. Jesus is the Father that will never, never fail me. Rock of ages, never, never fail. Now everybody, come on. All right, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Did that loosen up enough for you? <laughs> this is the drum we brought, right? We carried that drum on a plane all the way from Niger. If you only saw the shop it was purchased in, right? Well, good evening, everybody. Um, good evening. It's great to be back again. Thank you all for, he had to turn me up (laughs) because I don't have the voice that Neil has. Um, Thank you all for coming tonight, Sunday night, nice sunny uh, evening, and you decided to come to church, so thank you for that. Um, You know, when we first made the arrangements, Pastor Scott said, you want to do Sunday night? We're like, we're we're ready to do whatever y'all want us to do. So we're here, and that's why we're here. We have some places that we go, and the... And they'll, they'll be, well, you need to just go and rest. No, we're here to, to do this and to connect with the people. And that's what we love to do. And so we appreciate you coming because we love being here. Um, we're going to share the time tonight. And Pastor mentioned, or maybe Neil mentioned, somebody that we're talking about the call of God. And so my part of the message is I have three easy steps to know the call of God. You want to know the three steps? I'm really kidding. I don't think there's three easy steps, but I I thought about that. You know, how do we know the call of God? And so I thought, and so I actually just looked it up. I just Googled three easy steps. It is amazing how many things you can learn to do in three steps. 
You can get emotional healing in three easy steps. You can learn to listen and understand. Three easy steps, all it takes. You can learn to do the splits in three easy steps. doesn't matter how flexible you are. You get these three steps, you can learn how to do the splits. You can learn how to whistle, how to swim, how to paint a, how, paint a mountain, how to clean your coffee maker in three easy steps. Learn French. Learn, this is a good one. Learn how to win an argument in three easy steps. It's out there, guys. Look, you need to know how to do it. Learn how to look beautiful in three easy steps. Learn how to lose weight, three easy steps. And one I actually came across that says, learn how to change the world in three easy steps. So can we learn the call of God in three easy steps? Well, it's not easy, and the steps really take a lifetime. Um, And even though it's not easy, it's kind of pretty simple to me as I looked at this. And I'm actually kind of going at it at a backwards way. And you're going to wonder, what in the world, how do you get to the call of God from this? But there's two main scriptures I want to use. And the first one is Psalms chapter 37, verses 4 and 5. And some, I mean, if you hear it, you'll know what that is, even if it doesn't come to your mind right now. And it's, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust him, and he will do this. Now, some people like to say, well, it's in the Old Testament. I want to see it in the New Testament. So I actually kind of found something that's similar, and you also know this one, John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will, and it will be done to you. It's kind of like take delight in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Abide in me and um, whatever, ask what you will, and it will be done for you. So how is this talking about the call of God? Well, let me continue. Delight, what is delight? I thought about what delight is. And it means to, you know, you say, oh, I delight in you. It means to please someone greatly. And it's not even a word that we use very much. We don't go around and say, oh, you delight me. Well, sometimes Neil will say food is delightful. But um, <laughs> you notice how he kept talking about the steak this morning. He, he thought it was delightful. But it means to please someone greatly. So if I want to please my husband, maybe I'll make him a steak um, bring it in the room where we have the TV, make sure the chair's in good shape, the room's cool, um, get a movie that he wants to watch. That's I, I delight or I please him greatly. I can think of some other things that I could do to please him greatly, but we're in church, so probably shouldn't mention that. But <laughs> should I not have said that? <laughs> um, but also then to, to delight means to take great pleasure in. So for me, like we were just with our family and with our grandkids. I didn't mention this morning we have three grandkids now. Judah, Charlie, it's a girl, and Desmond, baby Des. And it was a delight to be with them, just being in their presence. It was a delight. Just, uh, I took great pleasure. I took pleasure just being around them. Even though they're crazy. I mean, they're four, two, and ten months. So you can imagine. But I took great pleasure. So if I'm delighting in someone or something... I'm thinking about them. I'm not thinking about me. See, the, both of those examples I gave is I'm serving somebody or um, bringing delight, taking great pleasure in, um, pleasing someone. It's not about myself. So that's how we delight. So think about that in, the, in relationship in light of this verse. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So you take delight in him. What does that mean? that you are pleasing him. The more you do that, the more your desires are going to change to become their desires, or in this case, God's desires. 
So we can't just, you know, go around, and I know this is a mature group, um, you know the word, and so you're not going around and saying, you know, I, God will give me the desires of my heart, so I want so-and-so's wife, or, I, you know, things that are ridiculous. You know that that's not what that scripture means. But what does it really mean, and how does it apply to the call of God? And so delighting in God, when we, when we do those things, when we delight, we take pleasure, we spend time with him, when he, we, being in his presence brings us great joy and pleasure, when we do that, he shapes our desires. The Holy Spirit aligns our desires, our heart's desires with his, and they become his desires for us. In other words, he's making his desires our desires, and then he gives them to us. You understand? It's kind of a... So, so how do we commit our way to the Lord? Because it says, commit, the second part of verse, uh, chapter 37, verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. It says, trust him and he will do this. He will give you the desires of your heart if you commit your way to the Lord. Well, how do we, how do, we do this? How do we commit our way to the Lord? And this is the other scripture that I want us to use is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And it says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is a place of authority. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. So it says first set your hearts on things above. And you notice it it specifies your heart, and then it says set your minds on things above. And you have to do it. It doesn't just happen. You have to make a decision to set your heart and to set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, because you died. So yeah, we're believers. And as I said, I know most of us have been saved for many, many, many years, but doesn't it say that we take up our cross daily? We have to make decisions every day to die to ourselves because we died and our life is now in Christ. So we are setting our hearts and our minds and the things of God. So I looked up this passage in, um, the message translation or version, paraphrase, whatever. And, and it's, it's kind of interesting. It says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it, pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. And so I like this part. It says, don't shuffle along. How do you keep your things on your, your heart and your mind on things above? You don't shuffle along looking at what's in front of you. You're just looking around and you can't see anybody else. All you, all you're concerned about is your little circle and where you're going. You're no, that's not how you serve God. That's not how you delight. You look up, you set your things, you set your heart and your mind on things above. And you see, begin to see things from God's perspective. And it says that's where the action is. I mean, we say that, oh, I want to be where the action is. Well, that's where the action is. Look up. So we allow our thoughts and our goals and our lifestyle to be shaped by his will. I'm getting to the call of God. We can't be self-focused looking for self-help. You know, there's so much self-help out there. Look, Google it. You'll find a zillion pages of ways to have self-help. And you, but we, it's not about us, not about being self-focused, self-help, improvements, how to have a new personality in three easy steps. We need to see our call 
from God's perspective. The more we serve and delight in him, the clearer that call will become. So it really is kind of easy. You just delight in him, and you're going to walk into the call of God for your life as you're serving him, as you're delighting in him. I want to share a little bit about my testimony. I was born and raised in Minnesota where actually we're headed tomorrow. I was saved at seven years old, always had a strong desire to serve the Lord. I, you know, amazing grace that saved me. I mean, saved me from so much because I always had a heart for the Lord and wanted to follow God. And I used to say, first of all, I used to say I didn't have a testimony because I didn't go through a bunch of junk. But then I realized as an adult, what an incredible testimony and grace that that was on my life. Um, and at one time I just broke down thinking about it how much I was saved from. But as I, as I grew up, um, I had a heart to serve the Lord and the seed of missions was in me. The call of God, the seed of mission, his call for me, your call. I mean, we're talking about, I'm not talking that everybody's called to missions. I'm talking about the call of God for your life. And it doesn't matter where you are in your life. The call of God, I mean, it's from birth to, to death. I mean, you know, any, anywhere in there, God is speaking to you. He has a plan for your life. So I had a heart to serve the Lord. The seed of missions was in me, did not even realize it. Because it says in, I think, Romans and Ephesians, I think in Jeremiah, the Bible says basically, before we were formed, he knew us and he called us. So before we were even in our mother's wombs, God created each one of us for a purpose. And I know that we all understand that. But sometimes we have to just introspectively look and say, am I following the call of God in my life? Am I doing what he's created me to do. He designed us with a purpose in mind and he loves us and he has a specific and a unique call and destiny for each one of us. And he promises, I mean, you can find it all over in the Bible. He promises to guide us, but it's important to keep our thing, our, our eyes on things above and see from God's perspective, his purpose, even if you're older or if you've made mistakes and you haven't, you don't feel like you've uh, walked in that call that God has for you, his purpose for you is bigger than your mistakes. And it's like a GPS. You know, we have, I mean, I don't know how we functioned, especially traveling like we do without GPS. We were talking about it the other day when we were on the road. We used to, when I, before we'd travel, I'd print out MapQuest maps. I'd have our itinerary for the whole summer, like literally traveling about 10,000 miles in the summer. And I would print out before we traveled from home, I'd look up MapQuest from St. Joe to Isani, Minnesota. And so we'd get out the thing and then we'd, you know, we, it, it doesn't tell you when there's mistakes or whatever. I mean, you've got a printout and, and then we'd get the atlas. We'd, we, I remember we had to stop at Walmart once and buy an atlas. That was just a few years ago. I, I can't even, it would be a nightmare right now thinking about trying to do that, traveling the way we do. But sometimes the GPS, you know, you, you turn off to to get gas. And it'll say rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. <laughs> it's so obnoxious. But sometimes God is doing that. You know, we get off the wrong, we get off track. We get off the call he has for us. And he's going rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. Sometimes we don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear God. We don't want to, because sometimes what he expects from us is inconvenient. Sometimes what he expects from us is uncomfortable. Do we really want to hear his call? I mean, are we really ex ready to hear his call? Because what if we don't like what he says? Well, I think about, again, Toby. The, you know, Toby's here so we can use him as an example. In school, um, like if he's writing a paper or has some homework or whatever, <laughs> there's a time he went to turn in a paper. And he's over here. He knows what I'm going to say. 
And um, I said, well, you want, me to, you want me to read it for you? No, 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 you don't need to read it. Well, the reason he doesn't want me to read it is because he knows I'm going to correct it. He doesn't want to make the corrections. He wants to just turn it in as is because he knows me and he knows that I'm going to find mistakes in his writing or in whatever it is. And he doesn't want the correction. So he's, no, I don't need help. Do we sometimes do that? We do that with the Lord. I mean, he wants to correct us. And we say, oh, God, help me. God, help me. I want to hear your voice. And he tells us something. No, that's not what I wanted to hear. I don't want that correction. Um, but to continue on in my testimony, I was determined to go to ORU and we have to, I think it's part of the call of God is just walking in obedience to him. And I believe because it's, I have so many examples in my own life that as we're walking in that obedience, God knows our heart and we're obeying him. We're just going to be in the right place at the right time to meet the right person, to get the right job. He's just, we're just going to be there because we were obeying him. It's not even that we heard a voice from heaven. Thus saith the Lord, you go to Walmart today or go to this gas station or whatever. You're just because you're, you're walking in the spirit on a daily basis, you're going to be where you need to be. Well, you have to make a decision to, to obey God when he does give you directions. And I believe that God had put the desire in my heart to go to ORU. And I was in sixth grade. I was 12 years old when I decided. And I thought of no other place that I wanted to go but to ORU. And well, fast forward, I ended up going to ORU. And then I was there my first year. Neil came as I was a a sophomore. I'm the older woman. And uh, he came and I met him. He was on my brother wing. So they, I think, I don't know if you've told that story about how I actually put us together, but he was on our brother wing. And, and so when I met him and the RA was going around, he introduced, this is Neil Childs and he lives in Nigeria. And I was like, Oh my goodness, I'm from Minnesota, had been nowhere. When I went to ORU in Oklahoma, it was a big deal. Like driving down and crossing state lines, it was a big deal for me. So to know somebody, and I, I did, I had this urge to like reach out, like, can I touch you? Because you've been to Africa. I mean, it was a big deal. He was odd um, because he had come straight from Nigeria. And so he, I don't know if you've heard him talk with his, well, you've heard him talk with his Nigerian accent. That's kind of how he talked. He'd forget. And he would be talking in English. He'd speak English, but with a Nigerian accent, I'd just be looking at him like, what? Who is this person? But he was really intriguing and really interesting to me. And so we connected and he's told the story. I don't, I don't want to go into that, but I basically, because I was interested, put us together as prayer partners. And the rest is history. We just had our 29th anniversary. But <laughs> um, so I was determined to do what God had called, you know, had for me. I just didn't really remember or know at that time what it was, except for I was just doing everything I knew to do to walk out the will of God and to obey God. And so when he told me, we started dating and right away, like probably first date, it was like, so, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be a missionary. And I was like, whatever. Because I thought he's a business major. He's not lived in America. So he doesn't really know what he's talking about. And so I was just thinking, yeah, that, that'll, he'll get over that is really what I thought. He'll get over that. It's not even that I didn't want to do that. I just didn't realize that that's what God had called me to do. And so, but he held strong to the, I'm going to be a missionary thing. And then as our relationship progressed and I was seeking God, I started, you know, realizing different things and things God would show me that, yeah, this, you know, this might be something that he's called me to do. And, um, and so 
we got married and he start, we started working. We moved to Michigan and we're working there. And, you know, as, as God directed us, we were youth pastors, as he talked about. And as God directed us in different steps, we ended up in um, Little Rock, Arkansas. And we attended Agape School World Evangelism there. And that was kind of our step to get to the field. And so as we were, uh, we, we were appointed as missionaries. And so when we were getting ready to travel... Um, and we had to finally determine that Niger was where we were going to go, and his parents were there, and that's kind of a whole other story. I don't know if he's going to talk about that, but um, we had, I mean, that's where God showed that that's where we were going to be was Niger. So my mom and dad at the time were moving, and they sent me some of my schoolwork from when I was a kid, from like elementary, middle school. And in the box, there was two different things that I had done. One was a report called Understanding Africa. And in that report, I don't even remember writing except for my, my name is on it. Um, in that report, I said I wanted to be a missionary in Africa. And another report I wrote on Nigeria. And that was the, the same year that he moved with his family to Nigeria. So call it coincidence, but it's just the Lord confirming things. So I was sharing that testimony in a church, at my mom and dad's church, actually. And so we got home and my mom said, do you not remember the prophecy spoken over you. And so she started reminding me the circumstances and I remembered it when she said it, not until she said it, but basically there was a woman I was sitting, I was 12 years old. I was sitting in a crowd and I was extremely shy when I was a kid. And I remember, I still remember this woman telling me to stand up. She pointed and she told me to stand up. I was terrified. And she, I can't remember all that she said. The part that has always stood out to me, and even when my mom reminded me was that you'll be a rose blooming in the desert, a rose blooming. We live in the Sahara Desert. and that, But that was after we had already determined to go to Niger. And I remember saying, you know, God, you could have showed us that when we were struggling to find out where you wanted us to go. But it was cool because it was a confirmation of the call of God. And so then my mom said, do you not remember all the times that you would be in tears wondering why everybody couldn't know about Jesus and the little Bible studies that you vacation VBSs I would do in our backyard. I'd set up chairs and quiet seat prizes and get Sunday school papers and pass them out. And in our backyard, I'd go invite the neighborhood kids. And, and I, and I forgot all about it until she told me, I remember the little milk tin we used to use and that was my Sunday school papers. And so the call was there, but I had to choose to follow it. And well, even, you know, whether I responded to it or not, it's still there. It didn't go away. So um, when it came time to go to Niger, um, I asked God to prepare me. I didn't want to be the wife of a missionary. I needed to know that this was my calling, not just, not that I don't want to serve my family, my husband, but I want the calling myself. I'm not just following him there. And you can't be in a place like Niger and not have your have a calling yourself. It's not a it's not an easy place to live. Um, and then I prayed, and this is kind of where I got that revelation of his desires becoming my desires, and then he gives them to me. You know, it's kind of a tricky way God does it. You know, He's like, I'll give you the desires of your heart, but first I need to put those desires in there. And that's what I started praying: is God, let me see the people, let me see Niger, let me see this call the way you see it. And so we did our scouting trip. And I mentioned this morning that I got sick. We were gone for three weeks. I got malaria and dysentery on our three-week scouting trip at the same time. And I was without my little tiny kids for the first time, being away from them like that for three weeks. It was rough. One of the missionaries, Nigerian missionaries that are still there with us today, he loves to tell the story because he was there. 
And he tells the story about when he saw how sick I got, they're like, he was like, they're not coming back. She won't be back. Um, and so did that mean, so it was hard. It was hot. We went during hot season and hot season isn't just like the heat you're getting. Hot season is 115 day in and day out, day and night. And the hottest I think was 127 that we've been in. Um, so, I mean, it was hot, it was dirty, it smelled, they don't speak English. Was I ready to bring my kids to this place? Um, and just be, but just because it was hard, did that mean that I wasn't called? You know, and, and that's what I think can be a stopper sometimes too. People, you know, they feel the call of God, but then something gets difficult. And then they decide, oh, God must have closed that door. It's not usually what it is. It's usually the enemy coming to prevent you from moving into the call of God for your life. So delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And his call will become more clear, more and more clear. And, and I, as I said, I began praying for the, God's perspective, his desires, and his uh, heart for the people of Niger. When we came back from that scouting trip, I had really been seeking God and just believing God that he was going to put a desire in me to go back to Niger. And so one of the things that I did, and you know, my faith, I guess, you know, faith is works. And so one of the things that I thought to do was with my watch, I didn't change the time on my watch back to America time. I left it on Niger time for about six months. I just had to keep calculating because I wanted to always be thinking about what was going on right now in Niger. So when I look at my watch, I'd think about they're having church right now, or the ladies are going to the well right now, or that type, because it just kept it on my mind and in my heart. So that was some of the things that, one of the things that I did. Um, we spent 10 months raising our support before we returned to Niger, which, as I said this morning, was a, were a few days away from 20 years ago, the day we left the, na- the country of America. And just before we left, I was in a ladies' meeting with our church, a retreat, and it was about the love of God and the whole, the theme of the meeting. And uh, Jeannie Caldwell was, was there speaking. And she was speaking about the love of God. And she, she said, anybody, and I had been praying and seeking God, as I said, to show me his heart, his love, see Niger through his eyes. And he poured on me that night. So, and I don't, I'm not particularly emotional and I don't usually fall down. I don't let, you know, I'm just steady Freddie. And but this was a time that I, I mean, the spirit of God came on me. I was, I was, there was a bunch of ladies there. I could not speak. I was so moved with God's heart for the people. He did it for me. And so these ladies were actually dragging me, trying to take me to sister Jeannie for her to pray for me. And I was trying to say, I don't need her to pray for me that God has already done what I've asked, but I couldn't even get that out. And so they got me to her and thank God for her. And they said, oh, you know, pray for her. And I was just standing there. I was speechless. And she said, she doesn't look like she needs prayer to me. (laughs) So I said (laughs) that, (laughs) you know, because God had done it for me. And and so I'm saying all that because I had such confidence that God had called me and all. Now, we arrived in Niger. And it wasn't easy. And I began to question, wait, what was I thinking? Like, I really wanted to come back to this place. And there was those moments. And so I would, I always encourage people when we're talking about stuff like this to write down what you know God has spoken you, spoken to you to do. Write it down. Tell somebody. Because there's going to come times, 
it's going to get hard and you're going to wonder and you're going to question and you need to go back to what you wrote on this date. God spoke this to me because the enemy is going to do whatever he can. He's going to put roadblocks in the way. He's going to close the doors. He's going to close the windows because he doesn't want you to fulfill the call of God in your life. So don't think that just because something gets difficult, that it's not God. There's rough times, but I knew two things. One, God called me. And number two, God was always faithful. There is so many, I think last time when we did the stories and talked about, you know, things in Niger, had our story night, the theme was God is faithful. He has done so many things. He has shown himself faithful so many times. So do I want more tragedy or terrible things to come to my life? Absolutely not. Who does? But if they do, I know that God is faithful. And every time, you know, the next time and the next time you just get stronger and your faith grows through those things because you know God is faithful. So he's called me and he's faithful. And I always have that to look back on. So just because things get hard doesn't mean you're not called. You just wait for the fruit after the breakthrough. You know, we faced a lot of challenges in Niger and it's not, as I said, it's not physically a lovely place to be. It's not a place you're going to come on vacation. I mean, when the team teams come, you know, a lot of mission trips, you have your free day and you go like snorkeling or, you know, you go do cool stuff. We go in a, in a cut out, dug out canoe to go see hippos. That's like our free day, you know, the event that you do, or you might go ride a camel in the desert. Um, so this isn't that kind of a place where, but we love it. Obviously we've been there for 20 years and we get to see as some of long-term missionaries and short-term people don't get to see the kinds of things that we get to see. Yeah, we face stuff, but the fruit we've been able to see, some of the stories Neil shared this morning about the transformation in lives of people. Bible school, when they come to the Bible school and they know nothing about the Word of God. And, at the end, and I used to take pictures at the beginning of the, of the school year of the students that would come just to get a picture of their face. And then I would take a picture at the end of the of school year and compare them. And you could see a difference in their face after they've been discipled for a year. We get to see that kind of stuff. I mean, so it far outweighs the heat and the dirt and the smells and whatever. I don't know. The chickens in the church, I, you know, I, I, we just left June 1st and it was hot and it was a rough, hot season. And I was ready to be out of there. But like Neil said, watching the video this morning, I'm like, yeah, ready to go back. I'm ready to be back to continue the call of God. So there are actually, there actually are three easy steps to, to, to the call of God, to knowing the call of God. Number one is take delight in the Lord. Number two is commit your way to the Lord. And number three is set your heart and mind on things above. And if you do those three things, then you too can know what God's purposes, plans, and promises are for you. But wait for $10 more. No. <laughs> that was kind of bad. But I just want to encourage you to meditate on what it means to delight. Just take that. I mean, if nothing else, just begin meditating on what does it mean to delight in the Lord and to, to set your mind and set your heart on things above. Because as you serve God with your whole heart, you're going to walk right into your calling. You're going to just continue walking into your calling until we reach heaven. Amen? So meditate on what it means to delight yourself and to set your, thing, your, your heart and mind on things above. All right. God bless you guys. And my favorite preacher is coming.
Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word. We thank you, God, that truly your call is upon each of our lives. You have a destiny for each one of us and a purpose, God. God, I pray that as we delight ourselves in you, God, truly you put that and you reveal it to us within us, God. And we have a a clear revelation of all that you have called us to do, Father. We thank you that you not only saved us, but you called us with a holy calling, not according to anything that we've done, but according to your own grace and purpose given to us before the beginning of time. God, we thank you. We thank you for that call. We commit ourselves to that call in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the confrontation of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 8.19 says, All creation awaits an eager expectation for the manifestation of the sons of God. Hallelujah. The world is counting on us. God is counting on us. Christ, only Christ can save the world, but Christ alone cannot save the world. He's counting on us. How's that statement go by Livingston? He said, great missionary pioneer. uh, uh, Christ alone can save the world, but Christ cannot save the world alone. The world's counting on us. The gospel needs a voice. Paul said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call upon the name of the Lord? How shall they call upon one of whom they've not believed? How shall they believe on one of whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? We need a preacher. The gospel needs a voice. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But the gospel needs a voice. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. The gospel needs a voice. We've got to proclaim this gospel around the world. Because without them hearing it, there's people every day going to hell, never having heard the name of Jesus. It's not right. The gospel needs a voice. Everybody say the gospel needs a voice. Do you know what? God has called us. No matter what your particular destiny, purpose in this world, it is the Great Commission. No matter who you are, no matter how old, how young, what color you are, the gospel has been given to us to take around the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's a call of God upon us. Not for just people that like to travel, like to wear different clothes, like to eat different foods. It's upon each and every one of us. And the world is waiting in eager expectation. They don't even know it, but they're waiting for us to give them the gospel. So many people live their life never knowing their purpose. If you don't know anything about your purpose, it is this. We must be a voice for the gospel. And part of that's about getting loud. Don't be just another voice out there, but get loud. When we were preparing to go to Niger, as Danette was saying, we're in Bible school down in Little Rock, and we prayed and said, God, show us, God, uh, you know, where we're going to be. And the Lord showed that we're going to go and work with mom and dad to start out in the nation of Niger, and we were so excited about that. And um, I was praying specifically, God, what is my role going to be? What do you want me to bring? What, what is that specific? And I, I'm like, I'm seeking face of God, trying to get a vision. Because we know that we need a vision. Without a vision, the people perish. People cast off restraint. God, what do you want me to do? What is my specific thing I'm coming to need here? And the only thing God told me is two words, loud voice. So I wrote down loud voice. That's why I'm being a little loud here. You guys with me? And so I wrote down loud voice. 
And I didn't really get anything else. I just, my paper, loud voice, that was it. That's what God told me. Well, I get to Niger and in just a few, kind of uh, first few months of being in Niger and starting to go out and minister and speak, still learning the language. We were in language school for the first few months when we were in Niger. But we were still involved in ministry, and I'd go out to these villages, and I'm talking Niger villages that are some of the most remote and poor villages that there are in the, in the world today. You go out, they're living in mud huts, thatched roofs, uh, no running water, no electricity. They, they don't even have mattresses that they sleep on. They sleep sometimes just on a, a little mat on the, or on sticks that they put off the ground, and, and that's it. And, and it's, it's the picture, the National Geographic picture of what you think of the most remote places in the world. But it was amazing that every place you went, and yeah, Pastor Scott knows he's been there. And he's coming again. By faith. He signed up on my list. All right. And no matter what village you'd go to, no matter how remote it would look, I was always amazed that I would see them carrying around radios. It was just amazing. No matter how far out in the middle of nowhere you are, they all had radios, and they're all listening to them. It's amazing. Some of the Niger people know Trump's agenda more than us. I mean, they know what's going on. They're... <laughs> And so it didn't take long, I began to realize, hey, this would be a great opportunity for the gospel. We need to be on the radio. So I, I and, and I may have shared some of this testimony, but I went in into the radio station and really believing to be prayed up and believed God that we could preach the gospel on the radio. And as I went in, it was the easiest thing in the world. They said, if you can pay the bills, if you can pay the money, you can preach on the radio. So we did. We paid the money and we started preaching and it was awesome. My whole vision was to bring some of the Niger people that had gotten saved, the young pastors had been brought up in our ministry. They were the ones coming on the air and and giving their testimonies and preaching the gospel as a former Muslim and powerful. And the name of our program was Voice of Salvation. And we were preaching and it wasn't long that we were preaching, we begin to get resistance. You know, when you begin to go forward, I was saying today, the more you begin to go forward, you get the enemies, the resistance, the opposition. And it was amazing. We, we, we begin to face the opposition. And it didn't even start with the Muslims. It started with other Christians in the country. In fact, other missionaries that were there before us, they begin to be the ones against us at first. And they came. One missionary actually said to me, he said, don't you know you're causing problems for all the Christians in Niger? He said, let me tell you, there's some things you need to know about ministering to Muslims. I said, really? Okay. First of all, he said, you should never tell a Muslim that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, all I know is that Jesus said upon this revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, Son of the living God, I will build my church. And, and it, I was just astounded that they actually said this. And so that really, that became the theme of our radio program. Jesus, the Son of the living God. The second thing this missionary told me, he says, and don't, and, and you, sh- you need to know this. On the radio, you don't need to be so loud. You don't need to shout when you're on the radio. You don't need to have such a loud voice. And when she said that, loud voice, there was that confirmation. This is, this is what God was telling me. This is what the loud voice is. And so we kept preaching and we kept going after it. Jesus, the son of the living God, shouting it. Every, and I begin to prep the, the pastors. Come on. I say, just let go, man. Don't be afraid. Just, just get loud on the radio, you know. And so we were loud and we were preaching. And, and sure enough, you know, more opposition came not only from the Christians, but then the Muslims came and attacked. And I, I think I've shared some of this, but, you know, they not only came, they came to attack the radio program, the radio station. They took us off the air. 
Um, but then after we were off just a few months, they called us back because we were paying top dollar. And they're like, hey, the atmosphere's cooled down. Come on back. We want you back on the radio. So we got back and we kept preaching. And then just shortly after that, it ended up they didn't attack the radio station this time. They came after our church and it, they attacked. And, and I shared some of this in the past. Came back and, and basically burned the Bible school and the pastor's house there and the church and, and sort of all the things that up to that point we had built. But, you know, uh, and, I, and I've shared this before, but very quickly, the Lord turned all that around. We built back bigger and better. I mean, our wall that used to be this high is now, like, way up there with metal spikes. Our, our little flimsy gate that we used to have now is, like, two-ply iron, steel iron, and it's, it's awesome. And since then, we've even had other attacks that they've tried to come in and, and take over. But our wall stands and our gate, and we, and I think I shared last time about the, the, the youth that held the gate. Did I talk about that? And they held the gate. But you know what? The loud voice. That's what I want to share with you. The loud voice. That was a confirmation. You see, the gospel needs a voice. We've got to get loud. Jesus said a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You know, we've got to find that place where we can shine. That place that has a place of influence. If you're going to be a voice, you've got to have a place of influence. If you don't have a place of influence and you're making noise, that's all it is, is noise. But when you have a place of influence, you speak, people listen. You see, without, without influence, you're not, you, you, all your words are just falling away is like noise. You know when a company wants to have somebody be their spokesperson, it's somebody who carries a place of influence, a place of respect. You know, that's why you see the, the stars, whether it's sports stars or, or what have you, they're... They're, they're given these contracts to speak on behalf of a product because they carry a place of influence. Well, we represent the highest authority in the earth. We represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to walk in a place of influence. Not just common influence, a place of uncommon influence. Amen. Because we need to have a voice, and not just a voice, a loud voice. Because it's one thing you'll realize, there are a lot of voices that are out there in this world. But our voice has got to be the voice that can be heard. Amen? Well, if you have your Bibles, I'm, quick, I'm going to be quick. I, I know you. this is message number two for tonight. And Pastor gave me a, a little bit of a time frame that we're, we're working with. So I'm not going to keep you too long. But if you have your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter f- 4. We're going to read a passage that is very, very popular and, and very well known to all of you, I'm sure. I just want to bring out one thing in that Luke chapter 4. And we will start reading in verse 16. It says, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he opened the book and he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Let's stop there. Is this not Joseph's son? The gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. He had captured the attention of everybody there. He had a place of influence. He walks into the church and it says, as was his custom. Nothing else was different at this time. It was his custom to go into the church. He was just doing what he always did back in his hometown. And so he walks into the church and the attendant gives him the book. It ends up being Isaiah. And it says he opened the book and he found the place. Everybody say he found the place. He found the place where it said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Everybody say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. There's just something about that statement. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. So Jesus reads this whole passage, speaking directly to who he was and what he was to do. Closes the book. Everybody say he found the place. You know what? This was not just some random passage Jesus turned to. It was a very intentional act. It says he opened the book and he found the place. We need to find the place in God's word that speaks to who we are and what we are to do. Too many people are living their life never really finding the place that speaks to who they are and what they're to do. They live their life without really ever having any sense of God's purpose in their life. Never really having that encounter. That spirit of the Lord is upon me moment. We got to find the place. I remember back in the 70s, their, uh, Bill Bright's organization at that time, Campus Crusade, they had this big evangelistic campaign. And I know I'm talking to the right crowd here that's going to remember the 70s. I'm going to dig my hole even deeper. (laughs) There was this big movement, and they had these yellow bumper stickers and and billboards and all this yellow with big black bold letters, I found it. How many remember that? Come on, I knew I was in the right place. Amen. I found it. And it was this campaign about I found it. And it was supposed to, you know, kind of generate that dialogue, you know, that, you know, about Christianity. What did you find? And it's about this whole evangelistic campaign. Now, the truth is, today, I don't know how successful of an evangelistic campaign that was. But one thing I do know is we have to have that I found it moment in our life. You see, we all have to have that encounter with the Lord where we know what, who God, what God has called us to do. That personal encounter. You know, so many young people are growing up in the church and they're leaving because all it was was just their parents' church. All it was was they were just tagging along. If we come to church and we never have that personal encounter, we never have that spirit of the Lord is upon me moment, we'll never know what the call of God is. We've got to find the place in God's word where we realize who we are out of God's word. And God's word shows us what we're to do. And Jesus, he found the place, intentionally opened to that very place, which spoke to who he was and what he was to do. And he reads it in front of them, and then he goes and he sits down and he says, Today, 
This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What a bold statement. He knew who he was. He found the place. And as soon as he did, it says all the eyes of everyone was fastened on him. And they said, oh, the gracious words which proceeded from his mouth. He captured their attention. He had that place of influence that's needed. If we're going to have a voice in this world, if we're going to be the light of the world, if we're going to be a city that is set on a hill, if we're going to be the salt of the earth and have that influence that God has called us to be, to represent the gospel today, to represent the Great Commission, we've got to find the place. We've got to find ourselves in God's Word. We've got to see and get a revelation from God's Word what He has called us to do. No matter how old we are, that's on us, the call of God. Yes, we delight ourselves and we commit our ways and He is faithful. All those things, the three steps. But if you never find yourself out of God's Word and His purpose, then you're going to miss all that God has for you. Don't let a cramped airline, airplane keep you from going to the ends of the earth. Don't allow strange foods. Don't allow the discomfort of talking to the person in the the next shopping line in the grocery market stop you from doing what God called you to do. We are responsible to take this gospel around the world. Sorry, bro. (laughs) Finding the place, move Jesus into a place of influence. If we're going to be the voice, we need to find that place of influence. And we're going to be a loud voice. We're going to be a loud voice. Sometimes we got to get loud. I know I, 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 when I was speaking this morning, I was like, come on, you guys are too quiet. I like it to be loud. Come on, everybody say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He's anointed me. I'm a voice. And I'm going to be loud. I'm going to preach Jesus. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no man comes to the Father but through Jesus. Let's preach the gospel around this world. Let's get loud. It starts by finding your place. It's having that spirit of the Lord is upon me moment. Moses had that experience. He had that, that, that I found it moment at the burning bush. Remember, Moses, he's in the desert. He's run to exile because he's been exiled out of Egypt. And he comes where he's been living for, I don't know, 40 years at that point. He, he'd been in the desert for a while. Come on, theologian, help me out. He's been in the, he'd been out there for a while. He comes to the burning bush. This is his moment. His eye found a moment. God speaks to him and says, Moses, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. It's that spirit of the Lord is upon me moment. And he says, I have heard the cries of my people. This is Exodus chapter 3. You can go back and read it. He says, I've heard the cries of my, of my people. They need to be delivered out of bondage. I'm sending you to go and lead them out. And what does Moses say in his great I found it moment, the spirit of the Lord upon him, the call of God being revealed to him. And what does he say? Who am I that I should go? What was he saying? He's basically saying, what what influence do I have? Why are they going to listen to me? Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? He immediately recognized that if he was going to be a voice, he needed a place of influence. He needed that place of influence to be able to speak. How many times when when we begin to get a sense of what God's call in our life is we begin to have questions. We begin to question, well, uh, and we come up with these questions. Moses came up with three of them. 
First of all, he says, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? And God answers the question. He says, uh, um, I'm going to go with you. Certainly I will be with you. He gives a promise, an answer to that question. But he comes up with another question. And Moses says, well, um, who do I say sent me? I mean, he's really struggling here for this place of influence. Who do I say sent me? And God gives him another answer. I am that I am. I mean, he gave him a promise of his provision. Everything you're needing, everything, your backing is there. I'm with you. And he still has a third question. Third question Moses asks, he says, well, what if they don't believe me? How many times do we just come up with all these questions of why we can't do what God called us to do? And God answered him again on his third question. And he said, Moses, what's in your hand? He said, it was my staff. He just throw it to the ground. He threw it to the ground. It became a snake. He said, pick that up. He picks it up. It becomes a staff again. He says, take your right hand and put it in your shirt. He does it. Take it out. It became leprosy. Put it back. became healed. What was he doing there? He was answering that third question with a promise of power. Every question Moses had, there was an answer. First, who am I that I should go? And he said, certainly I'll be with you. He gave a promise of his presence. The second question he asked is, is, uh, uh, who do I say sent me? He said, I am that I am. It was a promise of his provision. And the third question Moses asked when he said, you know, what if they don't believe me? It was a promise of his power. I want you to know the same promises that were given to Moses way back in the desert at the burning bush, have been given to us today. We have a promise of his presence. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and lo, I am with you always. And there was a promise of his uh, provision. How many know we have a promise of his provision? Come on now. I'm in a word of faith church that believes in prosperity. Amen. God has given us a promise of his provision. He'll never see his, we'll never see his children begging bread. And I want you to tell you 20 years on the mission field and God has blessed me. I've never been begging bread and I've never even had one day on the mission field where I didn't know where my food was coming from. I'm not here to tell you how terrible it is to be a missionary and Oh, how we're just believing God and we can hardly make it because that's not been my testimony. God has always been faithful. And when you step out and do what God called you to do, he will be faithful. There's a promise of his provision. And I'll tell you, there is a promise of his power. He says, go and preach the gospel and me, signs and wonders will follow after you. Amen? You'll lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. You'll cast out devils. You'll, yeah, I mean, I have great commission insurance. I can go anywhere. I can walk on snakes and they're not even going to hurt me. Because that's what the Bible says. There's a promise of power. I want you to know, you might have questions in the midst of that I found it moment. That spirit of the Lord is upon me moment. But let me tell you, it's okay to have questions. God didn't give up on Moses and he's not giving up on you. You may have questioned things of whether, it, whether that call of God upon your life was going to come to pass or wh- whether you, because of your questions it was canceled or God has dismissed you. I want you to know he didn't dismiss Moses and he'll not dismiss you. The great commission is yours. Even to today, you can fulfill that great commission. It's the call of God upon our lives. And it hasn't changed. Amen. Father, I thank you, Lord, for Living Word Family Church, and I thank you, Lord, for such a heart and a passion that they have for the Word of God and the love that they have for you and the light that they have and the mandate upon this church. I thank you, God, that you are raising them up to a place of great influence and not just a common influence, an uncommon influence. 
Father, I thank you. I thank you, Father, for that place of influence. You know, when Jesus, hey, I'm not, I'm not praying anymore. When Jesus, when Jesus, after he, he closed the book and said, this scripture is fulfilled in your eyes, it says all the eyes were fastened on him and all oh, the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. You know, he, he was at a place of influence. And what did he do when he got to that place of influence? He then began to expose things in the life. He began that confrontation thing we were talking about. He began confronting the people. And what did they do before the end of that chapter that we just read in Luke chapter 4? They were trying to push him off the cliff. Influence is not necessarily popularity. Okay? You use that place that God gives you to speak regardless of whether it is going to be liked or not liked. Whether it's popular or not popular. You represent the gospel. When we're in Niger, I'm going to tell them that Jesus is the son of the living God whether they like it or not. Because that's the gospel. And it is on the revelation of who Jesus is. That Jesus said he would build his church. And that's how we're seeing churches built in Niger. And people are coming to Christ. Not because we've been politically correct. Not because we're tolerant of what's going on. No, because we stand for what the gospel says. And we're a voice. And we're loud. Amen. And that's how we're going to have breakthrough. And we're going to walk in an uncommon level of influence. When we have that promise of his presence, his provision, and his power, we we go forward. Uncommon level of influence. The last last little uh, passage I'll mention is the one in Acts. It says when Peter and John had, uh, in Acts chapter 3, we know the gate beautiful. They pulled the guy up, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. And then by chapter 4, by chapter 4 they've been brought to the, the... the city officials, I mean, talk about getting a place of influence like that. You see, miracles and the signs and wonders, that promise of power, it puts you immediately into a place of influence. Not necessarily popularity, but a place of influence. And they speak. And they were trying to shut down their voice. But you know the thing that it says there in chapter 4 of Acts, it says, they could see that these people had been, that these people were ignorant and unlearned, but that they'd been with Jesus. And I know we know the verse. There's all kinds of natural ways you can get influence. Things like education. Things like relationships or who you know and, 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 and money. And all kinds of natural ways you can get a place of influence. But there is an uncommon type of influence. And that's what we've been given the promise of. The power of the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us. He says, and after that Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be a witness, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and, and Samaria, and to the uttermost part. It's, a, it's an uncommon outpouring of influence upon us. Today I want to challenge you to walk in an uncommon level of influence. You know, the Apostle Paul, he walked in that unle- uncommon level of influence. So many people want to misinterpret uh, that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where, where it talks about the thorn in the flesh. He says, oh, be, uh, lest I be, uh, what is it, exalted above measure, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Am I quoting it right? Um, how many notes? So many people, even commentaries will say, you see, Paul had a pride problem. You know that doesn't even make sense that you would think that's a pride problem. Why would Satan be coming to try to get Paul uh, out of pride? Come on now. It doesn't make sense if you read it. But when you understand that it's talking about influence, lest I be, because of the great revelations that Paul had received, he was coming up in an uncommon level of influence. Satan was against him. That's what that thorn in the flesh was. It wasn't a physical thing either. I mean, that term thorn in the flesh is used throughout Scripture time. And again, it's always referring to harassment of people against Israel. Persecutions, I'll tell you, you're going to have the thorns in the flesh. It's other people that are those oppositions as you're bringing the gospel. 
It's that persecution. Well, Paul had those, but he still walked in that level of uncommon influence. How many are ready for some thorns in the flesh? If you're going to walk in that uncommon level of influence, you're going to have some thorns. But hey, that's all part of it. Amen? You just pull them out and keep going. His grace is sufficient. Amen? Will you stand up with me? I just want to confront you one last time. The Great Commission is not just for people that like to wear funny clothes. And I'm not being real serious. I confronted you this morning. How many were confronted? How many were confronted? Come on. Some people are still hiding in the dark. No. But hey, I, I, I so appreciate you as a congregation and, and I consider you family. But I bring this last confrontation as a challenge. Let's, let's be a loud voice for the gospel. Amen? Everybody say loud voice. I, and when you say loud voice, you got to say it with a loud voice. Come on now. Loud voice! The Lord bless you tonight. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.